This episode of Film Jive is brought to you by Audible.com, the world's largest selection of premium audiobooks and spoken word content with over 150,000 titles to choose from. To sign up for your free 30-day trial, please visit audibletrial.com slash filmjive. I've been contemplating suicide But it really doesn't suit my style So I think I'll just dance bored instead And contain the blood I Hello and welcome to the Film Jive Podcast. We are recording this episode on November 15th, 2014. My name is Zach. And I'm Andy. This is episode number 84, where we are looking at the 1986 Australian post-punk film released by Columbia TriStar, Dogs in Space, starring NXS frontman Michael Hutchins and directed by Richard Lowenstein. Andy, would you please read the plot synopsis? Yeah, sure. For a minute, I thought this movie was distributed by Cumstar, not <laughs> Columbia TriStar. I was like, makes sense. If it was distributed by Cumstar, their audience would have been severely disappointed by the <laughs> lack of that's, cum. That's true. I was, and I wasn't even. Ex- yeah, I wasn't even really expecting it, but I was like, you mean to tell me I spent an hour and forty-four minutes with no cum? All right, dogs in space. Sam and Tim are the key members of a band called Dogs in Space. Together, they share a house in the inner Melbourne suburb of Richmond with a variety of social misfits, including Sam's girlfriend, Anna, university student, Lucino, and a home, and I'm sorry, and a nameless teenager, simply known as The Girl. These characters experience a chaotic series of events, a homicidal chainsaw maniac's lust for his machine, a TV station's offer of money in return for a piece of the Skylab satellite that has fallen to Earth, all while frequently attending parties filled with live music and heavy drug use. In the end, the group's hedonistic lifestyle results in tragedy. Before we share our own thoughts, we did receive an email from listener David, who originally chose this film for us to discuss after winning one of the clip competition segments. So David writes, Dogs in Space was the film you chose from my list of drug movies. When I built the list, it had been a long time since I had last seen the film. For some reason, I did not see it when it was first released. Its main claim to fame was that Michael Hutchins, the lead singer of NXS, which was just starting to have huge success, stars as the lead. Hutchins, in particular, was a major sex symbol in Australia. He was most likely in this film because Richard Lowenstein, the film's director, had worked on many of NXS's music videos. Anyway, with the recent viewing split over two sessions, what is my view now? In one word, chaotic. Like, with the chaos of the shared house, the film hangs together, but I'm just not sure how or why. The opening with the queue of people waiting for David Bowie had little apparent connection to the rest of the film. It just displayed the grunginess of the environment and its characters. There is no real lead, more a cast of characters, and we only skim the surface of this group. In the end, this is more about the carefree and careless lives of a group of young people. It has the atmosphere that works really well. 
The pub band scenes remind me of many similar times I had at pub seeing bands. The smoke, the bumps, the noise, and the scattering of the group you arrive with. In the end, it's not much of a drug movie, more of a shared house movie. Thank you, David, for sharing your thoughts. He doesn't really state whether he enjoys Dogs or Space or not. Well, he does say it. He does it. It hangs together. <laughs> and it works. But it does strike me as odd. Not launching a personal attack or anything, but that he does, if he does indeed enjoy Dogs in Space, that he still maintains a dislike for 2001 and Barry Lyndon, <laughs> especially considering how turgid the movie feels. Yeah. This is, oh my god. I think there's some hometown bias going is David on. Our only, is David our <laughs> only listener? He's only about, only one of about three people that ever email us. But, uh, Andy, what did you think of Dogs in Space? Uh, well, I'm going to say I didn't hate it. I didn't like it, but I didn't hate it. I will say that. High uh, praise. I did, I did, I did hate Michael Hutchinson in the movie. Mm -hmm. And I hated his character. And I actually think, for me, that was the film's biggest flaws. Uh, about half the characters I absolutely hated. And about half of them I didn't mind. <laughs> mm. And I don't think I spent enough time with the ones I didn't mind, like, uh, the university student. I didn't mind him. For whatever reason, I didn't mind him. And, and I do think that was, the, the whole, the, the characters are from, there's, there are too many characters. You know nothing about any of these characters other than, like he said, you know, just surface elements. Uh, Michael Hutchinson's character, Sammy, is a drug addict. For some reason, can't, I don't think he can speak, he just kind of barks. And He's a dog. Up, and he sticks his face up to the television. That's about it. So when, um, spoiler alert, when, uh, Anna dies, I don't care. Yeah, no. You know, no. I, I know nothing about her. I don't care. I don't care. She can, they all can die. I don't care. Who cares? I have no emotional investment with any of these characters other than I hated Sammy because I just thought he was obnoxious. Well, I think the ending's int intending to be allegorical, but I actually have a real issue with just like the last 15 minutes in general in that up until that moment, from what I gathered, Everything before the death, the death of that character. The movie is very particular about just depicting the actions and not yeah. using the language of film, I guess, to manipulate yeah, well, your yeah, emotions. And then, and then we get to all that. Oh, no, the last 15 minutes, I thought it was completely different from the rest of the movie in that it was like trying to pull at the emotions of the viewer. Yeah, and it's like it's shoving this morality down your throat, and there's nothing in the movie beforehand that sets the ground rules for that to occur. Right. And I think he's trying to suggest that Michael Hutchins' character, Sam, is directly responsible for her death. But I'm not even sure that I completely agree with that in terms of ha in how the movie depicts her death. Well, and her character in general. Yeah, really. there's not a strong sense in that moment that he, I mean, he obviously introduces her to heroin, but it is in that moment her choice to take it. I mean, he's already kind of catatonic. Everything in this film, because um, she makes a lot of bad life choices based on him, but it's never him forcing her to do these. She just does it freely because she wants to do them. Like when she catches him um, cheating on her with the girl. She's gone for like 20 minutes, but she comes back. You asshole, let's fuck in the driveway. Yeah, I mean, that's how it was. I mean, she, everything she did, she kind of did on her own volition. Yeah, I, I, I will say, uh, 
this movie and I were kind of fighting an uphill battle from the beginning, just because for one reason or another, I could not <laughs> find the motivation to even want to watch this. And, th- and that's not, uh, David is correct. He sent me a long time ago a list of drug movies, and I looked up the movies, and I chose this one out of the bunch. Because um, you thought there was actually going to be dogs in space. Well, part partially the title and uh, like an Australian po- post-punk movie sounded interesting to me in comparison to the other things that I was offered. I will say I'm not someone who particularly enjoys drug-centered films just because I find most of the time the way that that's depicted is really obnoxious. You seem to like the trip. No, I do like the trip, yeah, but I don't find the trip obnoxious. No, it's not. I'm saying most, I guess, uh, post-70s drug films, like, they tend to get really stylish and just their characters are really dislikable and obnoxious and it asphyxiates on the sort of, like, the injection, which I I don't have an issue with needles, but when somebody's injecting themselves with heroin, it does kind of skeeve me out. I don't know, just because it, it feels so desperate to me that it bothers me. I thought you were going to shoot up some black tar heroin before you watched it space. Well, I might have enjoyed the movie more, had I. Uh, but there was just a part of me that felt like I knew what this was, what I was going to get from this once it started. Yeah. There's something about... I feel this way about a lot of Australian films that I've seen outside of like the the exploitation umbrella in that there's just something about the aesthetic of these films, the grunginess of them that doesn't feel organic to me. There's like this kitchen sink realism to it, but then it's like heaping on, look at the grunginess by like kind of overcompensating with all of this like clutter in the, in the environments that just doesn't, it just doesn't register as true to me. And from what I've read, uh, said by the film's director, it seems his primary interest was to remain true to the authenticity of this of the time period and the culture, which is the late seventies in Melbourne specifically. And I can appreciate that that is his primary attempt, but this film does it with hardly any perspective at all. All the specificity of the story comes from the aesthetics being like unconventional in relationship to the content. It's because he's so committed to depicting things as they were that the end of the movie, your only takeaway is like, oh boy, like these kids are really reckless. Like there's... These people are dirty. I mean, there was the one instance where uh, Lucio's friend, the one that's always wearing the towel, that never wears clothes. Yes. The hunky looking one, where he does comment that everyone else in the house other than those two are bored uh, suburban kids. That was like the one time they really touched on anything like that. Well, which is is very true of yeah. uh, these kinds of scenes. Not even just during this period, but I would say the crowds that populate like punk clubs and scenes nowadays that I've been to is that they're usually middle aged white kids who have that don't have a middle job. Class. Middle class white kids. <laughs> oh, did I say middle aged? What did I? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, like, <laughs> 50-year-old guys. <laughs> well, you get those, too. Uh, oh, yeah. Well, I mean, but that's always true of every scene, because, like, when I mentioned the trip earlier, in that San Francisco scene, that's primarily what it was there as well. Yeah. 
you know, and they all have like this liberal point of view that sounds like they're just repeating what other people they've heard other people say. And so that's what they think is they're just like, yeah, I agree with that. But I don't know what what the movie's saying about any of that. Well, I don't either. Because we also had the scene with the feminists yelling at the one guy in the corner. The 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 serial rapist or what? Yeah, because that's what I was like. I was like, I don't know. This is kind of like an odd way of depicting a feminist because she essentially has like a handful of scenes. One, she's just like a radiant person, yes. a guy in the, in the corner. And the other one, she's essentially, like you said, she's setting up t- t- to rape all these women. Yeah, well, she's she's trying to seduce that like fifteen year old girl several times. We find out that she she sleeps with a one year girl and ends up like I don't know converting this girl. Yeah, like her whole depiction is just very bizarre. But nothing that even that character says feels like that character really believes what they're saying. Well, no. But again, I don't know. Is he just saying that's just the way it is? Like I don't. There's never any real, like, illumination about anything in the movie. It's just like, here are the facts of the way that it is, and that's it. I don't know, even as a movie that abandons narrative conventions, I guess, and I was getting the impression during, like, the first half hour that, okay, maybe this is just supposed to kind of be, like, a tonal piece, um, where it's just like, here's the subculture, but there's no opinion, there's no perspective to anything it just like even for somebody that in his case he's on the inside looking out it still feels really dull like he has no opinion of his characters or the way that they're living their lives i mean i guess at the end that's where he's making his statement about all this but really the sam character is the only character in the house that we know of that's actually doing drugs like nobody else in the house seems to be I mean, we see some people, like, smoke pot, but that's it. That's not really comparable to heroin. Like, no, no, that's what I mean. Yeah, that's that's all we see. So that's not even the same thing. And then, like, in a weird way, the closing moments in the film, like, we were talking about this before, it almost seems like it rewards him. Oh, he lost his girlfriend. He saw the light. Now he's this big superstar musician? Or is this all just a dream? I don't know. But whatever that last song he sang was awful. <laughs> well, that's just another thing. For a movie that's centered around a music scene, it doesn't really use any of its music with any kind of real potency at all. It just lays tracks down, and they're just used as background noise. And maybe that's the point. He's saying that this scene really wasn't about people's love of that music, but more just about this being a conduit for these kids to rebel and slack off. But People seem to remember this film because of the soundtrack, but I don't know why that would be the case because it doesn't do anything memorable with... It's just like droning white noise the entire time. Well, there's a couple of good uh, Iggy Pop songs. There's a good Eno song. Yeah, but I'm Uh saying, like, yeah, those songs (laughs) are good on their own. Like, the movie doesn't utilize them in a way that... It doesn't use the music to emphasize the drama or anything. Right, but maybe that's why the soundtrack's, like, well-remembered because... You know, people buying the soundtrack apart from the movie. I, I just I just even find that there are filmmakers that will, you know, use primary soundtrack driven scores or whatever, and uh there are images that accompany accompany those songs after you've seen the film. You can't forget when yeah. this song played in that in that moment or whatever. There's nothing in this movie at all that, like, I could go oh, listen no. to these Iggy Pops tracks and I can't even remember when they play in the movie. 
Except for the dog one at the beginning, when everyone's like, dog this, dog that, dog, dog, dog. Yeah. Like, I sounded like uh. Wendy Williams again. <laughs> yeah, he was really, uh, well, like we kind of mentioned before, this was like, uh, William Castle's The Ghoul and, uh, uh, Mr. Sardonicus saw the mention of dogs. Yeah. I mean, he really bought into that title. <laughs> he really thought he was like, oh, I got a good title here, Dogs in Space. I got to throw the song down. I got to throw Iggy Pop's quote in. Yeah, I gotta have a guy open. Hey, you dogs, you know, and then throw dogs again. We have to have Michael Hutchinson throwing dog food at Anna. I mean, and just to be clear, because I don't remember, there is not a single dog that actually shows up in the movie, right? <laughs> no, there's, not. there's a goat or sheep. I mean, there's a sheep that shows up, but no yeah. dog. No dog. No, no, we never see a dog. That's fucked up. That is. I mean, when you think about it, when you make a movie called Dogs in Space, people are going to want to see dogs in outer space. I would think at least during, like, the hallucination sequences, they'd have some, like, flying dogs or something. Yeah. Take a page from Disney. They knew when they were making a movie called Air Bud, people would want to see a dog shoot a basket, slam slam some dogs. And that his name be Bud. Right, and they delivered. (laughs) Yeah. You know? Mm Mm-hmm. They know when they made Snow Buddies, they'd want to see a bunch of those dogs hanging out in the snow. And that's what they did. Snow, do- snow Dogs didn't feature Cuba Gooding Jr. shooting up heroin. It featured him hanging out with a bunch of huskies. I think I saw that movie in the theater. You thought it was going to be a sequel to Dogs in Space. <laughs> like Snow Dogs, finally. I thought Dogs in Space sequel with Cuba? I'm there. Oh, and Real Dogs? Yes. In Alaska? Well, you just figured that it... Cuba was replacing Michael Hutchinson since he was dead by that point. Yeah. Same character. One thing I've I have read. Now I haven't seen Robert Altman's Nashville. Okay. But I've read people compare this film to that. Well then they're out of their minds. Yeah, I was gonna <laughs> say, is that apt at all? Well no. Well, I think they're saying the way that he mics all the characters and the camera's just kind of meandering throughout. Well then that's and... like every Robert Altman movie. Right. He does that in Popeye as well. Yeah, he does that like in everything. Kind of, he even does it in Secret Honor. There's only one character he's constantly mic'd, yeah. <laughs> but I'm trying to think... <laughs> this is a no, stupid... I mean, it's, it, this is a superficial thing, okay? In that there's a lot of characters, there's music involved, the camera's always moving, and, they're all, and everyone's always mic'd. Nashville is like a gajillion times better movie than this. The music in Nashville is used a lot better. But why? What separates Nashville from Dogs in Space? Robert Altman's a great filmmaker, and this guy, I guess, isn't. The songs in Nashville, now part of this is also that Henry Gibson, like, co-wrote all of his songs. You know, Keith Carradine wrote his songs. The people in Nashville wrote their songs. That's what Altman wanted. And so they would have a closer connection to the songs that they sang. Mm. And also their characters would have a closer connection to help them get into the character better. All of these songs feel like they actually would have came from their characters. Now, I understand that's not necessarily the same as in Dogs in Space, since Brian Eno is not in the movie, for instance. All of the music feels organic. It feels like it should actually be there. And he sets up scenes where the music actually builds to a payoff. I mean, the, fi- the, fin- the finale of Nashville, which is the best part of the movie, and it's absolutely brilliant, it's like the last 30 minutes or so. I mean, the song builds to the ending, and it's a- that actually works as an emotional climax, unlike Dogs in Space. I don't want to give away the spoiler alert of the end of Nashville. Because it is relatively shocking. I mean, you have a feeling, but you don't know what's going to happen. 
Uh, I mean, the script's constructed better. Again, there's a ton of characters, but we know something about all these characters, so we actually care about them. And Nashville dips into melodrama, but I think that's kind of what they wanted to do with the film, kind of make, give it like a soap opera feel to it. Whereas this film, obviously, that's not what they want to do. Well, that seems indicative to the culture that it's depicting anyway. Yeah, right? yeah, and I think that's, yeah, that's part of it. Like the David Bowie thing, how they're in the, we never see David Bowie, but they're in line for the David Bowie concert. It doesn't really fit into the film at all. It's just kind of there. Mm-hmm. Well, there's a scene in um, Nashville where, uh, if I'm remembering correctly, like Elliot Gould and uh, George Siegel are the ones that, uh, yeah, Elliot Gould, I guess not George Siegel, but just Elliot Gould does a cameo as himself in the movie, and it, it actually fits. It feels like it belongs in the movie. It's not just like a throwaway joke, because it explains the character, it mainly explains Henry Gibson's character. So, I mean, even something like that, something as throwaway as that fits in, whereas the throwaway scene in Dogs in Space really doesn't do anything. Well, one thing I wanted to ask, apart from Iggy Pop's appearance on this, the soundtrack, is the music even punk? <laughs> You know? Well, no, it's not. I mean, okay, we have the the Eno song from Another Green World, and that's not punk, but I can see it being like a influence on punk or an influence on post-punk, especially, you know, something like Wire, maybe. Yeah. But the rest of this stuff, I, the song that Michael Hutchison does at the end, that Rooms for Memory, is just a really shitty 80s pop song. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing I couldn't, like, if this is about the little band scene, why not actually bring the little bands into the movie? Yeah. They cover, you know, Shivers in the movie, some other tracks, and it just doesn't even feel like it's directly related to that scene. I don't know why you wouldn't go to, like, the people that were directly a part of this and go, why don't you, like, compose original pieces of music and you'll be featured in the movie instead of, I don't know if they ha- if these people that are performing in the film are musicians of former little band. I think they are, but it's like, then not why, why not use that Australian music? Why it almost seems like it's like a marketing gimmick or something to where we'll put these higher profile tangentially related post pop punk songs into our film because it'll be easier to sell that way to a wider audience. No, I, I agree with you. I mean, I guess, like, they were telling me one thing, but I didn't really feel like that's what was happening. But I wasn't there, so I guess what do I know? But but what that shouldn't really matter, I don't think. I agree, it shouldn't matter. Like, I think, like, you and I, or most people could watch, say, say a London-based punk rock film that doesn't feature, say, like, The Clash, or Elvis Costello, or The Sex Pistols, that feature some of the more, you know, obscure ones, and I think we'd understand it. So I don't know why, like, something like Australia would be something that we are too foreign of. What did you think of all the Skylab footage and that whole shoehorned element? Well, that's what it was. I mean, it was just shoehorned in. I didn't really get what the point of all that stuff was. Other than what they wanted to do, the dogs in space thing, by putting in 50s, not 50s, but like 60s uh, space footage. Since, you know, the dogs in space is a reference to an actual dog in outer space. I didn't know if it was like, it was indicating how time is like, it was like a visual way of showing how time is passing all these characters by as they live in this world, but it just felt really obtrusive every time it appeared and felt yeah kind of pretentious. 
Well, what about the like the the chainsaw guy? Yeah, I I well, I think I was like completely zoned out during that. I mean, he served no purpose other than he came in and he talked to some of the guys in the house about chainsaws. I don't even know why he came to the house to talk to them about chainsaws. Well, and that's he the was thing. Someone's, he was someone's uncle. I know that's all I know. Yeah, that's the thing. Make another movie with the same plot description, and you have the chainsaw guy. You have the guys with the satellite taking the satellite thing down, and give it to a filmmaker that has a vision, but is still not concerned with plot. And I feel like I'd like this movie for every reason. I should enjoy this, but I don't at all because it's so banal. Uh, And that's, I, I can't figure out if that's the point. It's like the, all these characters are sleepwalking. So I should feel like I'm sleepwalking while I'm watching it. But a guy that's obsessed with chainsaws in a different movie, I feel like, I'd love sure. that. Yeah, yeah, let's do it. And the whole elegance of the photography thing, I can appreciate going against convention, but I don't actually think that the way that the film is staged and shot benefits the actors very much. I don't think they're able to sustain the energy that they need in these long scenes. Yeah. Every scene kind of feels like it just deflates at some point. I, I really noticed it when... He's in the bathtub, and his girlfriend's in there, and then she leaves. He builds up to a little joke that isn't really funny. Well, I mean, I thought that whole bathtub scene, it did seem, I mean, it it almost seemed like he was... Oh, wait, the joke is the pants thing? Is that what you're saying? No, 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 him falling off the bathtub. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because you hear, you hear the sound effect of him falling. But see, that that's what I'm saying. Like, that felt like a desperate attempt to, like, sustain... Just end it, yeah. Well, it's, uh, like, I thought it didn't even feel like that was really scripted. He just said, you guys are here, now go. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was the most that Michael Hutchinson said in the movie. How else am I supposed to get my jeans clean? And, I don't know, it just didn't feel like someone actually wrote that down. It just seemed like that was just made up on the spot. Yeah, that's a good point to bring up, that this film, quote-unquote, stars Michael Hutchins. He is probably the least memorable presence in the entire film. Yeah. I mean, he's hardly in it, and when he is, he's just kind of like rolling around on the floor, drooling. <laughs> and and I feel like there's this attempt to make him like a Jim Morrison figure, and it's oh my just God, not I know. even... Not happening. No. And I know how much you love The Doors. <laughs> They're one of your all-time faves. Yeah, I love them. I like their, uh, I think it's their last album, where it's just him, him like, reciting poetry. Oh, you like that one? I don't know. You're, if you're doing something else, you're and Errol, you have music in the background. Yeah, I guess so. I'm not, like, a big Doors fan. They definitely have music I do like. Some of the stuff on L.A. Woman, and I like some of the stuff on uh, Morrison Hotel. And I know Soft Parade is, I think, considered, like, the weakest album. I like that song, Soft Parade. I mean, I, I like that song. I like that kind of... You seem to use a lot of harpsichord on that one. Mm. So anything like that, I'm like, ooh, okay. Or a, kind of something that sounds like a harpsichord, maybe. I'm like, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> so there's some stuff on there I like. You're sitting there, nodding your head. Yeah, let's do it. I am. Harpsichord. I love the harpsichord. One of the reasons why I love Punch Drunk Love so much is because there's a harmonium in it. Mm-hmm. Any of those kind of, like, Baroque pop instruments, throw those in there and be like, yes! Yes! 
Uh, did you think that the glitches in the digital copy we watched increased or decreased your enjoyment of the movie? Well, there were some times where I go, is this supposed to happen? I know, me too. <laughs> I was yeah. like, that's a really inspired transition. And then you just realize that, like, about every, like, 20 minutes there's one. <laughs> then you're like, oh, this is this just something that's wrong with our copy for some reason. Well, I had the greatest one, <laughs> where it literally froze the movie. <laughs> yeah. One thing I was thinking about while watching this is, what audience is this for? Australians. <laughs> that's just, that's it? Yeah. It's not the type of movie I feel like where people that are a part of the punk scene could watch it and be like really into it. And then there's like people that are not a part of the punk scene that watch it and are not really. So I don't know what, what the audience is for. Cause it doesn't glamorize the lifestyle. Do you know what would have helped this movie tremendously? Adding two cast members, Yahoo series and Paul Hogan. Yahoo Sirius should have been Michael Hutchinson. Michael Hutchinson's character. character. Yeah, I agree. He already had the hair. This should have just been young Einstein instead. Why didn't David ask us to watch that? Oh my god. The invention of beer. <laughs> You've never seen young Einstein, right? I haven't, no. Had you ever heard of it before I started talking about it that one day? No, I never knew of this Yahoo Sirius person. Oh, he was on the cover of Time magazine. <laughs> That's how serious he was. So, how many drive turkeys? I'll give it two. And I'm, I'm possibly being generous. I think you are. I'm going to give it 1.5. You know what? Yeah, I am too. This film's a mess. <laughs> I would love to hear David's explanation for why Dog in Space is better than 2001. Write us. Lay it down for us. Teach us a lesson. Man, Kyrgyzle doesn't bark in 2001. That's true, he doesn't. So, um, because our our review is a little bit shorter than usual, we're going to do something we've never done on the show before, and that's play a game. Break out the Monopoly board. We'll see how this goes. It may be something we do every so often when a discussion runs a bit shorter. This week's game is titled The Movie Alphabet. Ooh. The basic concept is uh, that we'll each pick a letter from the alphabet, and then we take turns naming movie titles that begin with that letter. Whoever breaks the chain loses the game. You only have about 10 seconds to answer, and I have a, I have a stopwatch here. And, I, and the other thing is, the and a don't count, so if it's the letter M, and you are allowed to say, like, the Magnificent Seven or something like that, that counts. Well, let's say My Fair Lady. Well, that would be for F. Oh, wait. Ooh. No, that's M. Yeah. I'll let you start. You pick a letter. In in honor of this movie? It's B. Okay. Do I go first or do you go first? Yeah, I'll tell you when to start. You have 10 seconds and then I have 10 seconds. I'll just go back and forth until somebody can't figure it out, all right? Yeah. Start. Daddy Day Camp. Dr. Strangelove. Oh, man. Dark City. Dr. Zhivago. Uh, 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 Dune. Dr. T and the... Sexy Women. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the Dream Team. Uh, um... D- Daddy Daycare 2. That's Daddy Daycam. Oh, alright, I guess we lost. All right. <laughs>
You know your daddy daycare series. Wow. I do. <laughs> I'll do, uh, I'll do P. Okay. Playtime. Pulp Fiction. I don't know any more P's. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have a couple seconds here, but, uh, no, that's it. Detroit Rock City's a D. Alright, I'm done. I don't know. <laughs> okay, so I pick another one? Yeah, go ahead. X. Extra. What? Yeah, he's already said one extra. Isn't that it? Like, that's the only no, movie with no, an X? No. Am I missing a big one? Yeah, you kind of are. X. Is that a movie? Yeah, X, the man with X-ray eyes. Yeah, X, yeah, that works okay. <laughs> uh, X-Men, The Last Stand. Oh, fuck. X-Men. <laughs> uh, X2, X-Men United. X-Men, Days of Future Past. X-Men First Class. X-Men Apocalypse. Oh, that's not out yet. He <laughs> could, could have also said X-Men Origins Wolverine. Uh. And the X-Files. <laughs> well, I didn't know that we couldn't name movies that weren't out yet. <laughs> no, I, I'm sorry. I didn't know that either. I didn't know the roles. <laughs> Alright, G. G? Yes. The good, the good, the bad, the ugly. The game. The good, the bad, the weird. Oh, you dirty son of a bitch. Um, G-Force. Stuff is gerbils. B- uh, um... A good day to die hard. Get Carter. Which one? <laughs> doesn't, doesn't matter? Uh, Michael Caine. Okay, Get Carter, the one with Sylvester Stallone. Alright. Uh, 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 The Ghost and Mr. Chicken. The Ghost and Mrs. Muir, right? Uh, Ghost World. That's what I was going to say, Uh. New Jack City. What? Yeah, alright. <laughs> I was going to say Ghostbusters, too. Oh, that's. Uh, go- Ghostbusters. <laughs> well, you can't jump back in. <laughs> Uh, let's go with, uh, S. Seven cancels. Seven. Uh, shark. Shark tail. Uh, sleeper. Sleepers. Sleepless in Seattle. Sleepwalk with me. Uh, Swamp Thing. Swamp Thing 2. Oh, it's called Return of Swamp Thing. I'll do O. The Omen. Omen 3. Isn't it... Isn't it the Omen conflict? Yeah, it's it's the final conflict. Finally got one. (laughs) On a technicality, but... Yeah. B. The Beach Girls. Birdman. The Beyond. Beyond the Door. Um, Beach Blanket Bingo. Batman. Back to the Beach. Batman Returns. Blood Simple. Batman and Robin. Bullet. Batman Forever. The Burbs. Batman the Movie. Uh, 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 Back to the Beach. Did I say that one? No. Okay. Back to the Beach. Back to the Future? Uh, Bad Lieutenant. Bad Lieutenant Port of Call New Orleans. Back to the Future Part 3. Back to the Future Part 2. Barry Lyndon. Uh, there's gotta be a movie that starts with basketball. Basketball. 
Um, out of the Basketball Diaries. Uh... The Beach. Uh, Badlands. Back to School. Uh, The Blob. Um... Backstreet Boys, the concert? <laughs> uh, Bride of Frankenstein. I don't know that that's a movie. <laughs> I don't either, but I'll give it to you. Uh, uh Bride of Frankenstein. Uh, oh, shit. Uh, I'm done. I should just say, I have a distinct disadvantage from you, is I am sitting in a room surrounded by, you know, hundreds of hundreds of Blu-rays and DVDs. You have an advantage? Yes. Oh, I yeah, I have look... I have nothing around me. I just, I can look over, I can go, oh, yeah, uh, oh, Badlands. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, let's go with, uh, H. Hell comes to Frogtown. Hard ticket to Hawaii. Oh, my God, help. Hellraiser. Halloween. Oh, Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. Oh. Gotta uh, fuck Halloween... the whole franchise now. Halloween 2, more of the day he came home. <laughs> oh, the titles are get confusing. Halloween H2O, Resurrection. <laughs> I, think, I think it combined two movies there. Uh, Hellbound, Hellraiser 2. Hellraiser? Yeah, I thought you said Hellraiser. I did? Yeah. Alright, Halloween, Curse of Michael Myers. There you go. Uh, Halloween 3, Hell on Earth. What? <laughs> That's the third one, Halloween Hell. I mean, sorry, did I say Hellraiser 3, Hell on Earth? Or you did said I say Halloween 3, Hell on Damn. Earth. Damn, <laughs> alright, you got that one. Got my horror franchises mixed up. Alright, we'll do this one more time. Right. Let's do A. Arabesque. Uh, Apocalypse Now. Apocalypto. Atomic City. Oh, uh... Atomic Town? <laughs> Is that a real movie? <laughs> I don't think so. I am really bad at this. Atomic Town. There is a movie titled Atomic Town, Life After Technology, so I guess we can, we can move on. Um, <laughs> the Aviator. Adventures in Babysitting. Oh, man. You did it. Um, <laughs> alien Resurrection. <laughs> oh, thank God you finally pulled out a... Alien 3. Oh, man. Aliens. Alien. Alien Predator. I don't know what the sequel is titled. I know there's a subtitle. No, there's just a movie, no, there's just a movie called Alien Predator. Oh. Uh, not Alien vs. Predator, Alien Predator. Alright, well, Alien vs. Predator. <laughs> okay. The Italian ripoff of Aliens titled Alien 2. Hmm. Oh, come on. Come on. <laughs> um. The, the Alienator? Uh... <laughs> I don't think that's a real movie. Alright. Alright, well, I'm gonna say that. Oh my god, there is an Alienator! Is there really? Alright, keep going. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay, okay. Australia. Um, Assault on Precinct 13. Um, Ants. Anchorman 2, The Legend Continues. Anchorman, The Legend of Wrong Burgundy. 
Um, um, I'm running out now. I'm trying to think. Oh, shit. Um, the aspects. Ant-Man? <laughs> Ant-Man? Yeah, that movie coming out called Ant-Man. Is there a movie? Oh, shit, yeah, there is a movie out called Ant-Man. Well, I guess I'll give that one. Alright, we can do movies that aren't out yet. The Avengers. The Avengers 2 Age of Ultron? <laughs> uh, the Avengers with Ray Fiennes and Sean Connery. Ooh. Annabelle. Oh, shit, there's a movie called Annabelle, isn't there? I saw it. Oh, yeah, and you loved it. I forgot. <laughs> oh, shit. Um, about a boy. Anastasia. About Schmidt. About time. Attack of the Crab Monsters. About last night. <laughs> oh, I can go all night with a, a attack, attack of the 50-foot woman. Uh, attack the block. Attack of the mushroom people. Attack of the killer tomatoes. Oh, son of a bitch, <laughs> that was my next one. At midnight, I'll take your soul. I think this is was an attack of the 50-foot cheerleader? 60-foot centerfold. What? <laughs> attack of the 60-foot centerfold. That's oh. what they call that. I don't know about it. Well, I can look this up. What's a, what do you say, attack of the 50-foot cheerleader? Yes. No, 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 Attack of the 50-Foot Cheerleader, you got it. Alright, okay. alright, keep going. Alright, well, well, Attack of the 60-Foot Centerfold, then, since I said that. Uh, um, American Beauty. Atlas Shrugged, Part 2. American Psycho. Um, 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 The Atomic Submarine. Um, American, American Hustle. Uh, 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 Ashes and Diamonds. Angels in America. Um, 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 Art of War. All is Lost. Uh, Army, Army of Darkness. Army of Shadows. Aristocats. Uh, After Earth? Yes. Okay. The Argent. The Bresson movie. But what does that translate to, Andy? The Money. <laughs> All right, there we go. Just let it be known that your last one was uh, was After Earth, and mine was the Brisson movie. Those last some things we could think of. So, Andy, what are we looking at next episode? Uh, next episode, we're looking at uh, Cuba Gooding Jr. in Dogs in Space Two, Snow Dogs. Next episode, we'll be discussing the 1983 fantasy science fiction film directed by Peter Yates. Crawl, released by Columbia Pictures and starring Ken Marshall and uh, Lizette Anthony. Another movie selected by David. Australians love Crawl. You can hear Andy on the Stephen Andy Meet Batman podcast and follow him on Letterboxd, where I can be found as well. Film Jive can be reached at filmjive.wordpress.com, Facebook, Stitcher Radio, and iTunes. Please send all your thoughts and feedback to filmjive at gmail.com. Thank you for listening to the Film Jive Podcast. Please tune in next episode, and until next time, keep on jiving. My cats, they're living on dog food as well. This morning when I fed them, I didn't open up a can of Whiskas. I opened up a can of Alpo. And said, we're all living on dog food. Get used to it. <laughs> <laughs>